0: Heavenly Father, we do beg of you this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit to us and keep us from deceitful ways. Oh Lord, we ask that you would be gracious to us through your law as we read it and study it closely together now. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians. We've had a bit of a break. There's been church camps, there's been Easter, there's been pulpit swaps. It's been basically a whole month since we were in Philippians together. And so we pick up this morning in Philippians chapter 4, and we're up to verse 4, where the Apostle Paul tells the readers, uh, his, the church in Philippi there, that they are to rejoice. How often are they to rejoice? Well, the text says, verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, is this really true, that God's people should be ones who rejoice always? You may think, oh, I'm an exception. There's no place for joy in my life. Or at least there are exceptional times in my life where there is no place for joy. You may claim that the Apostle Paul didn't know your life. And he didn't know the lives of the Philippians very well. And so he could not make this command to us today that we are to rejoice always. In every circumstance, we are to find joy. But is it true that the Apostle Paul did not understand the lives of believers? Well, of course, it's not true that he didn't understand. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul knew what it was to experience pain. While he wrote these words he was a prisoner in jail for preaching the gospel. And he expected that he may be executed at any moment because of his preaching of the gospel. We look back in chapter 1, which we saw uh, when we were studying this, uh, it would be many months ago now when we first started it, uh, verse 13 of chapter 1 of Philippians, it says, "'As a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard "'and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ.'" We understand that the Apostle Paul was in chains. He was in a, su- a pain, place of suffering and that he expected at some point whether he would, be, uh, he would be executed. We see that in chapter 1, verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And there's an understanding that he probably expected that he would be delivered either by being set free or possibly that he may be executed The Apostle Paul knew what it was to experience suffering and to rejoice in the midst of that suffering. And he also knew that the people he was writing to experienced suffering, that they knew pain as well. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 29. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He is writing to these people that they are to rejoice always knowing that they are experiencing suffering, that they are experiencing pain in their lives. And Paul is not unique in telling people to rejoice in the midst of suffering. The other apostles we see rejoiced in suffering. We see that in a passage like Acts chapter 5, verse 40, where the Jewish leaders called the apostles in and had them flogged. They flogged the apostles and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, what would be the reaction of the apostles? They've just experienced a great beating, a flogging, and they are then told not to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They rejoiced even though they experienced a flogging. For Christ, Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament. What did we read just before? In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, all good reasons to be downcast and sad, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. The prophets were ones who encouraged people to rejoice even in the midst of pain. The Apostle Paul is following their tradition, but also the Lord Jesus Himself. He is one who commanded rejoicing in the midst of suffering. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse eleven, he says, "Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me." rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you the lord jesus says when people insult you persecute you rejoice and jesus led by example what do we read in hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of Of the throne of God. He experienced great pain, great suffering, but it was a joy that was set before him. So, how could Paul, the apostles, the prophets, the Lord Jesus himself, how could they all rejoice even in pain, even in suffering? How could they learn to rejoice always? Well, what did the apostles and the prophets and the Lord Jesus Christ, what did they rejoice in? Paul tells us, verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. They found joy in all circumstances because they rejoiced in the Lord. Now, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, at a bare minimum, we rejoice in knowing that the Lord is the Lord. He is the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in God, he says rejoice in the Lord. Now, what do we understand the word Lord means? Well, it means that someone has dominion, they have power, they have control of something. You can be lord of your manor. you can be lord of your house, you can be lord of a nation. And so what is the Lord, lord of? He's lord of all. He's not lord of simply a house. He's not lord of a nation. He is the lord of all nations. He's the lord who reigns over everything. And so what else do we rejoice in God about? We rejoice in the lord about? We rejoice in his dominion, his power and control of all things, but we also rejoice in his other attributes. So go with his power, his dominion. What attributes? Well, we know that he is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. How does that affect our joy of his dominion, his power? Well, we know that his dominion, his power, is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. It will continue. He will remain Lord of all lords and he will remain King of kings. And then his other attributes... Wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. We rejoice in those attributes as well because they go with his dominion, his power, his lordship. And that means that his power is used for holiness, justice, goodness and truth. It's not used for evil and lies and deceit. It's used for what is right and true. And what else does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? We rejoice in his dominion, we rejoice in his power which is with his other attributes. We rejoice in the fact that he is Lord and he is working for us. He is working for our good. His dominion works for the good of those who believe. The church is the Lord's bride. And the Lord, as the church's groom, he works for their good. There's that wonderful promise in Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose when we rejoice we rejoice in the lord what does that mean we rejoice in his power we rejoice in his power that is there with the infinite internal and unchangeable his other attributes his wisdom his power his holiness his justice his goodness his truth but it's also there working for us and so there's a joy in us because we know that that dominion is working for our good. And that's why the apostles could rejoice, even in the midst of pain. That's why the prophets could rejoice in the midst of pain. That's why the Lord Jesus rejoiced in the midst of pain, because they knew that God was still Lord and that somehow their pain was working for their good. Even when it didn't look like it, they knew that God knew better and that he was still Lord and working for their good. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't care about pain and suffering in the lives of ourselves and the lives of those around us. We do care that people are going through pain. And the apostles and Paul, they cared about pain and suffering, and they often fled as they were able, places of pain and suffering. And they encouraged people to get their freedom if they could do so. And the Lord Jesus on the night before the cross he is there and he cares about the pain and suffering that he's about to go through there in the garden of gethsemane as he's asking for the lord's cup to be taken from him he cares about the pain but when they were not permitted to escape the pain they still had a joy because they knew that god was in control of the pain that they were experiencing they trusted they knew and they trusted that God was still Lord. And this is what we're to do as well. This is the place of our joy, is in the Lord. And we know this is true because we know that all other sources of joy, they fail us. They're not eternal and unchangeable. They fail us. The other joys of this, this world, they evaporate very quickly. Think of work. What can work do? Well, it can spit you out with barely a severance package. Or the clients that you depend upon for your work to keep going, they evaporate. What can family, friends and even spouses and children do? They can spurn us and they pass away. What can happen, happen to money and possessions, which people seem to get so much joy from? Well, they can be lost. They can be destroyed in a flood. Sweeps it all away. What can food do? Well, it can give you heartburn. It can give you other health problems and it can make you feel a bit pudgy if you eat too much of it and the joy of the taste buds is hampered by the other consequences of eating what can movies tv shows books video games do they cannot live up to the blurbs so often you put a movie on you think it's going to be good it turns out to be an hour and a half wasted time A TV show that you love dearly, what comes eventually? It ends. After a couple of seasons, they decide to ax it. And all those beloved characters are no longer there for you to watch and enjoy. The other joys of this world, they fail us so easily. And when times are really tough, we know they fail us. When you're going through a place of great suffering, what happens with the other sources of joy? They fail us. We can't concentrate to do our work. The loving spouse, the caring friend, they cannot take our mind off the problem. And we're not interested in money and food and movies and video games when we're going through great pain. But joy in the Lord, joy in the Lord and his dominion and his other attributes, it satisfies Why? Because we know the Lord never ceases. He never fails us. He will always be there just as he has been there before. And we know that he controls even the pain that we're going through for our good. And so we can even sleep in the most intense trials because we rejoice in the Lord just before we go to sleep. And therefore we can rest easy, even in the midst of great pain. So why don't we rejoice? Why don't we rejoice in trials? Well, it's hard to rejoice. Why? Because of our unbelieving and foolish selves. If it was easy to rejoice in the Lord, would we need the command? No, we wouldn't. But we are commanded here in chapter 4, verse 4, to rejoice. And twice, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He has to repeat himself. Twice. He says the command to rejoice. And actually, it's thrice. If you look back to chapter 3, verse 1, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Three times in this book, he tells commands. It's an imperative, a command. You must do it, which means that if you don't, you're sinning. He tells us three times. But nay, it's actually, could you say thrice? Chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. So you too should be glad and rejoice. Same Greek word, same imperative mood. Rejoice with me. Thrice is not a word. I should correct the record. I looked it up. Um, It doesn't exist. There is no four times of something uh, like we have for twice and thrice. But four times in the text, he tells us, commands us, rejoice. Because it is so hard for us to do so. So how can we not sin? How can we obey this command and rejoice in the Lord? Well the first thing we need to do is have the Lord as our Lord. God doesn't work for the good of those who do not love him. There is no promise in scripture that says that. The promise in scripture is that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. If you have not loved him if you do not have him as lord then he does not work for your good so what should you do you should love the lord you should start loving the lord and submitting to him in repentance and faith trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins children do it now don't live a life robbed of the joy that you could have by spurning the lord no commit to the lord now trust in him have him as your lord and then live a life of rejoicing in the Lord's power and his other attributes, working for your good. So that's the first thing you need to do if you want to rejoice in the Lord. You need to have him as your Lord. The second thing we need to do, well, we need to know the Lord's good dominion better and so believe in him better. Why don't we rejoice as we should? Why don't we rejoice in the lord as we should it's because we don't know and believe in the lord as we should if we really knew and believed in god's complete dominion that he was in control of all things and that he's a good and loving and gracious and kind and holy and just and true god then we would have no problem rejoicing in him continuously No matter what circumstance comes into our lives, if we really believe that he was in control of it and was working for our good, then we'd have no problem rejoicing at all. So how do we get to know God's dominion, get to know the Lord better, so that we rejoice better? Well, it's by studying the Bible. Why? Because this is the source of true knowledge of God, of the Lord, who he is, and the promises he has made To us who love him, the promises he has made to use his dominion for our good and his glory. We need to read the Bible. We need to hear preaching of the Bible. We need to read books about the Bible. We need to think about the Bible. It's called meditation in the past. You sit and you think about what the Bible says. You need to talk about the Bible. Talk about the Bible with others. Talk to, the, to God himself about what is contained in the Bible. Praise him for his attributes that you see in the scripture. Sing to the Lord about the truths that are contained in the Bible. And that will help you to know him better and trust him better and therefore rejoice in him better. You may say, what in particular should I read in the Bible? How can I understand God's dominion better so that I trust him in all circumstances and therefore rejoice? Well, the best subject for meditation of the Lord's dominion is the cross. It's the cross, isn't it? Why? Because there we see the most intense suffering, the most intense pain known to any man and yet it was working for the good of him And for many others, we see how the Lord's dominion was overruling the wickedness of men and the pain and suffering of a perfectly righteous man. And yet it was working for his good and the good of others. Why do I present the gospel in every sermon? I make a real effort. Every sermon I preach, I present the gospel in some way. I encourage people, unbelievers, to repent and believe and trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Why do I do so? Because it's the best way for them to know true joy. It's the best way for them to know the Lord and to know the true joy that comes in him. And it's also very good for all the believers who are present as well. It's the best way for them to have a heart that is warmed again in affection for the Lord and to know him better as they continue to remember that it's only by faith that they are saved. It's only by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and their trust in him that they are saved. If we know the gospel, if we're reminded of the gospel, we can't help but sing with joy Wesley's hymn, that great hymn, Rejoice, the Lord is King. It's actually printed there in your bulletins. We're going to sing it at the end of the sermon. Wesley's hymn there in your bulletins. Look with me at verse 2. Verse 2 Jesus the Savior reigns, the God of truth and love. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. What's the result of meditating upon the fact that Jesus the Savior reigns and he has purged our stains? Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. Verse 3 His kingdom cannot fail. He rules, O earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. What's the result of such a truth? Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say rejoice. If you want to know the Lord's dominion better, so you rejoice better, think of the fact that he has purged our stains at the cross. And you can't help but rejoice But what else could you meditate upon in the scriptures? Well, meditate upon God's work of creation as well. At church camp, we were reminded of God's work and three different sermons, one on redemption, one on God's work at the cross, one on creation as well. As we are reminded of the fact that God created all things, we are reminded of God's dominion. And as we look around then at creation, we rejoice because this is all of him. And so whatever we're going through, we can rejoice because we know that if he can make everything around us, then everything will be okay. And that ties in with his other work, his work of providence, his work of controlling all things. He has created all things, but he still continues to sustain all things and controls all things. And as we read in the scriptures about how he governed the lives of his people, so that things would happen at just the right moment, so that great good would come, then we can't help but rejoice. As we're reminded then of the fact that in our lives, he must be working for our good as well, down to the smallest detail of our life. He is working for our good. So joy flows. Joy flows As we see the Lord's good dominion and know his power is working for our good. Unbelievers think that Christians don't have fun. But it's not true. The reality is Christians have true fun. They can go through their entire life rejoicing. Not just when things are good, but when things are bad. They can still have fun because they know that it's all going to work out okay. Yes, there is pain there, and we have to deal with that pain. But there's an underlying joy through it all, just as the Lord Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We endure the crosses that we have to go through, that we have to bear, that we have to carry, because the joy is set before us. So is your life characterised by joy? Think about what other people might say. Would they say that you are a joyful person? Is the answer no? Why is that? Is it because you still haven't come under the dominion of the Lord? You still have not repented of your sins. You have still not trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins. And so you are still resisting his dominion over your life. If that is you, you need to repent. You need to believe. You need to trust in Jesus and have him as your Lord and Saviour. if you are going to experience the joy of being a Christian? Or is it because you still don't believe that the Lord has all dominion? He doesn't have all dominion. He's not Lord of all. Many people who call themselves Christians deny God all dominion and save some dominion for man. Usually put it under the description of some sort of free will. That man has some sort of free will. What does that result in? Well, it makes God's promises look weak because he can make a promise, but then it's all contingent upon the free will of some man, whether that promise will come about. And so promises of perseverance that nothing can snatch us from God's hand, well, of course, except for the person, he can somehow remove himself from God's hand. Where's the joy in the promises of God if he doesn't have all dominion? If that is you, stop it. Acknowledge that in Scripture it is very clear, God has dominion of all men. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. It's scary for the king, but it's a source of joy for the peasant to know that God has control of all things and that he has made promises that he will work for the good of those who love him. Is your joy not there as a Christian because you are still holding out on acknowledging God having all dominion? And so his promises are not available to you as to someone who has acknowledged that God is in control of all? Or do you not rejoice because you do not remind yourself regularly of God's good dominion? You don't study God's good power in Scripture. You say, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to study the word, so hard to find time to do so, so hard to do it when I sit down and do it. Well, I might give you an illustration that might help you to study God's word more. What's joy like for the Christian? Well, it's like a fire that's inside, within you, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's always there, it's always alive. If you're a true Christian, the Holy Spirit is always in you, burning away. Now, there are times of coldness, even of freezing, Christians get depressed. I'm not going to deny it. As I said, the apostles, Lord Jesus, they recognise pain and suffering. There are times of freezing. There are times where you feel very cold. But by God's grace, the thawing comes. By the Holy Spirit burning away inside you, the thawing comes. But you can also add fuel to the fire. You can add fuel to the fire. You can go to the Spirit and what he says in his word and add fuel to the fire as you learn about the Lord's dominion. As you study God's dominion, it's like what? It's adding fuel to the fire. What are quiet times, regular daily quiet times, where you sit down and you read God's word? It's like you're throwing another log on the fire for the day and for the night and for the, so that next day the joy will be burning brightly. You throw logs on the fire every time you read God's word so that it burns more brightly and so the joy is there because you've been understanding more of the Lord and his dominion and how his other attributes are there with his dominion. And what's it like then coming to church? Well, It can be like pouring petrol on the fire. As you come and you're here with the preaching of God's word, with the word being publicly read aloud, you're being reminded again of the Lord's dominion. As you sing songs that have scripture content within them, you're being reminded of the Lord's dominion, that he is Lord of all, and reminded of his love and his kindness. And as you then have fellowship after the service, you're reminded as you have conversations about the Lord like pouring petrol on the fire. And you see it sometimes after the service, or well, hopefully more than sometimes. You should see it after the service. As people are talking to one another, there should be a joy. If you just open your eyes, you can see it. That there's a joy after the service as people have had petrol poured all over them and then the Holy Spirit has ignited. And there's a joy in their faces as they know the Lord. And love to speak about him and be amongst his people. So don't be surprised if you don't burn with joy, if you don't fuel your knowledge of God, if you don't fuel your knowledge of God by the Holy Spirit's scriptures, then don't be surprised if you don't burn with joy. I encourage you, get to know God and trust that the Lord is Lord and then rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the Lord of all and we thank you for working all things for our good. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not rejoicing in you always. And so we ask that you would help us to study your word and to know you better, to know you in your works of redemption, of creation and providence, and so to believe all the more in your dominion and so therefore to rejoice in you always. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not have you as Lord, oh Lord, we ask that you would grant them faith now and may they love you and rejoice in you because they then know that you work your dominion for their good. And we pray these, these things in Christ's name. Amen.